0: Thanks for being here today as we worship God together, and welcome to all of you who are watching online right now. Thanks for being here as well. My name is Adam, and I just want to welcome you to church this morning. Whether you are here in person or watching online at home right now, uh, a lot of people are. So uh, we recognize that we are a church distributed this morning all over the place, and uh, we want you all to feel like you're a part of the body of Christ gathered together spiritually, if not physically, right now. We're in the book of Colossians. We're studying through it together. So if you've got a Bible handy, you may want to go ahead and open it to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible handy, you can go to our website at efree.org Bible. And there'll be a link there you can click, which will take you to not only our text for today, but also some announcements and things in case you missed all of those. That's at efree.org Bible. And if you are watching this message live right now, and some people will be watching it later, but if you're watching it live, whether you are here or online, I want to remind you that you can actually translate the message live in real time into whatever language you want at efree.org slash translate. So if there's anyone for whom English is not your first language, it would be more helpful for you to follow along. We always have a few people that uh, prefer to follow along in a different language. You can always go to efree.org slash translate. Again, that's if you're watching live. So if you are watching this right now and it's not live, I'm sorry, that will not work for you, only if it's live right now you can do that. Well, our text for today is Colossians chapter 3, and I want to do something to get a little bit more interaction with you, because I know you're just missing the interaction of singing. Well, some of you aren't missing it as much as others, but some of you are missing the interaction that we have of singing. So I'm going to go back to my roots a little bit, and we are going to do a good old-fashioned responsive reading. All right? Who knows what a responsive reading is? Okay, everybody? Okay, that's good. That's good. We are going to put our scripture passage on the screen, and even if you're at home, you can do this with us as well. I'm going to read the part in blue. I want you to read the part in white, okay? So this is your chance to do something, to say something, to be involved in the service a little bit. Let's try this together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ— Think about the things of heaven, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true and it is powerful, and it speaks to us today just as it spoke to the believers in Colossae 2,000 plus years ago. And Lord, I pray that as we study this morning, you would teach us some things, whether we've been a Christian for a long time, or we're a brand new Christian, or we're just exploring what faith in Jesus might look like, I pray that there'd be some things here today that we can walk away with that will help us to live in a way that honors you and to take a step closer to you in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me get some little more interaction here. How many of you like to travel? Anybody? You enjoy traveling? Okay. Uh, International travel? Like, do you prefer that? Who prefers just travel in the good old U.S. of A.? Anybody, that's your, that's your thing? Road trips, camping, all that kind of stuff. I, I really enjoy traveling. What are your favorite places to travel? Go ahead, shout it out. What's your favorite place to go? National parks, National parks Colorado. I realize now that it's a huge mistake to ask for feedback when everyone has a muffler over their speaking instrument. It's very hard to understand what most of you are saying. It's not you. I really enjoy traveling. I've had some incredible experiences traveling. Many of you know that for years, my wife and I directed a missions ministry, and so we got to travel all over the world and, and do some really amazing things and have some really crazy experiences too. Like there was one time that my wife and I and, a, and our whole team were stranded in Paris outside on the streets for a whole night. We had to sleep on the sidewalks during a riot. There was a huge riot, and because of the protests and the riot, um, cars were flipped over and up on fire, and all transportation was shut down, and we were just stuck there for the whole night with our team. And there was another time I was in Thailand, and uh, I was riding a motorbike, and I got into an accident. And so I had to go to the hospital and get in a wheelchair and come back in a wheelchair. It was a crazy, crazy experience. And there was one time I was in Costa Rica, and I was uh, playing sports, and I tore my ACL. And so I had to go see the surgeon in Costa Rica. Bottom line is, I'm very familiar with healthcare systems around the world very, very familiar. In fact, one of the weirdest things about healthcare around the world is how easy it is to get a hold of prescription medications in some of these other countries. I would have assumed I would need a doctor's note or something, but no, just walk into a pharmacy. I'll have some of that, some of that, you know, and they just kind of tell you what to get, but you don't need any verification. All right, that's another story. Bottom line is I love to travel, and I've had some crazy experiences when traveling, and some things that were not so pleasant to experience, and I'll bet some of you can can relate to at least some of those. Uh, In South Africa, we ate salted caterpillars. Anybody ever have a a salted caterpillar? The worst part about a salted caterpillar is the fur, okay? Just enjoy that in your mouth for a moment. Uh, Where I was staying in Uganda one time, breakfast was often popcorn. You had popcorn for breakfast. Uh, In China, there was one morning we were awakened to our breakfast of cold, wet uh, noodles with soy sauce, which is, you know, maybe you like that, but for me that was a new thing. And dinner one time we had uh, we had chicken's feet and a bunch of other animal parts that we got to dip in oil. It was kind of like the melting pot, but sort of the um, the extreme fear factor version of that. In Costa Rica and many other parts of the world, a home security system is when you build a wall on the edges of your property out of concrete blocks about eight feet high, and you put Cement across the top of it and you stick broken shards of glass and bottles all over it And that's a very common home security system in other parts of the world But it was different, you know, you just see that and you're like, wow, that's that's unique I I would not break into that home. That does not look like fun In thailand, we could pick our noses all we wanted, but we could never pick our teeth so if you ever go, that's something you should know. And when we sat down, we had to make sure we didn't show the bottoms of our feet, um, because that was offensive there. And, and in all these different places, you, you start to learn that there are certain hand gestures and, and things that we would do as just a normal course of life that are actually very offensive in some of these other places. So you have to learn all these different languages and cultural norms and customs and traditions um, that people have. And that can be a lot of fun, but it can also be exhausting, Because all these different things are are so different for us. They're so foreign for us. We get used to our surroundings and a certain way of life, a certain way of doing things. And that becomes normal for us. And we we get desensitized to the things that are normal for us. and, And we think that the things other people do are weird. But then when they come and see us, the things we do are weird. Like three years ago, I made my first venture into St. Louis. And there was a group of people that were showing me around. And they were bizarrely excited to have me try something called toasted ravioli. And this made absolutely no sense to me. I had never heard of this before, and I'm being completely 100% hand on the Bible honest when I say I thought it was a prank. I thought there is no way that all of these people could have agreed ahead of time to be so excited about a pasta dish cooked a slightly different way. I was like, how can that possibly be such an exciting thing for them? And you know what? We've been here three years now, and every time we have a guest come in and we take them out to eat, you have to try the toasted ravioli. Let's get, can we get two orders of toasted? Ravioli? The best one is at salt and smoke with the brisket meat in there. Oh, it's fantastic! But I digress. You know what? I don't make people try though. I don't make people try Provel. That would be cruel. I, I have no interest in losing friendships over. Thank you. We've got some. We got a few a few supporters from out of town. Every place has their own unique culture and customs and food and language that you can get used to. And if you have ever stayed in a, a very different place for a very long period of time, you have probably found yourself longing for home, right? Have you ever been somewhere for a really long time? Maybe you spent a semester overseas or your work took you somewhere else for a while or you're just on a long trip for some reason, business trip or whatever, and you're just longing for home again, like you want to taste the food that you had back home. You want to be back where people follow the same rules of the road that you do, you know, generally speaking. You want to feel your own bed again, and you just miss the the comforts of home. Being a Christian is like being a traveler longing for home that's what being a Christian is like. It's like being a traveler longing for home, and recognizing this is an important part of growing up as a Christian. It's an important point of maturity for us. See, there are all sorts of things in this world that do not make sense if you're a follower of Jesus. Things that are uncomfortable for us, things that we question and wonder, why God, why? And it's because we're not, we're not belonging here. Our home is elsewhere, And and we experience these challenges that we feel shouldn't be happening. We we long for a peaceful utopia where everything makes sense, where God's will is always done, and yet that's the opposite of what we experience. And we go, why, God, why? Why is this place so different from what I feel it should be like? I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but how many people at First Free Church are struggling in a, a tense or a divided marriage right now? How many of our students are struggling in school or having a difficult time finding friends right now? How many of us are dealing with relationship struggles because someone said something or did something that was inappropriate and it's now formed a wedge in that relationship? How many of us are really frustrated and confused about politics one way or another right now? Either because of what's happening in the Senate or what's happening in the White House. All of you have a reason to be upset (laughs) to some extent about what's going on with politics right now. Or COVID. We're anxious about COVID or COVID restrictions. If we're not anxious about COVID, we're anxious about COVID restrictions. How many people in our church family have some kind of a serious health condition that's kind of been overshadowed this year by the coronavirus, but is just as devastating and just as big of a deal, especially for that person? And when you look at the challenges of this world in our life, don't you just long for something better? Don't you long for something different Peter has a great way of saying this. He says that believers are temporary residents and foreigners. We are travelers who long for home. Paul says that our real citizenship is in heaven. That's the place where we actually belong, not here. Hebrews says that this world is not our permanent home, and we are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. I've always loved this quote from C.S. Lewis I'm going to share with you. Maybe I've said it before, but it's worth saying again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Now, this is essentially what Colossians chapter 3 is all about. It's about understanding that if you have trusted in Jesus, your real home is not in this world in its current form. And understanding that this truth should actually change how you live now. When I was in Thailand and I got in that motorbike accident, or when I was in Costa Rica and I tore my ACL, or I got really, really sick one time in China, and I got super sick in South Africa too. These were really difficult times, and it was a a struggle to make it to the next day. But you know what I always had? I always had that hope that, hey, in two weeks I'm going home you know, I've got that to look forward to. I can get through this because I know that I'm going to be back in my own bed and eating the food that I love and with the people that I love because I'm going to get to go home. And so I look forward to that and I long for that. And that is a part of of what this passage talks about for us, is that we are longing for the future of heaven. It's a hope for the future, but it's not just a hope for the future. And that's what I hope to get across today. The fact that heaven is our real home and we are not there yet and we long for heaven, it gives us hope, yes, and that helps us get through dark times, yes, but that is not all that God intends for us when we look at heaven as our real home. It's not just to say, oh, this place is terrible, but at least I'll be in heaven one day. It's not just to say, well, maybe life is miserable here, but, you know, I'll be happy in the future. That is not what God wants for us. Heaven is not just a destination that we look forward to. It's a way of living now. Now. Heaven is not just another place. It's another place with different values, different attitudes, different cultural norms, different ways of doing things than we typically do in this world. It's a place where God's will is always done. What did Jesus teach His disciples to pray? Pray that God's will will be done on earth as it always is in heaven. We've talked a lot in this series already about the hope that we have in heaven for the future, but Colossians 3 is going to take that to the next level. It's going to show us that heaven is more than a hope. It's a model for how we live our lives today. And maybe you've never thought about the Christian life that way, but it's how God talks about it in the Bible. See, God wants Christians to bring the heaven lifestyle to earth. God wants Christians to bring the heaven lifestyle to earth, not just to long for heaven, but to bring the values of heaven into our lives and into our community today. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. He's so heavenly-minded, He's no earthly good. You know the phrase. And I have heard pastors absolutely rip on this phrase. They really don't like it. I'm going to tell you there's some truth to it. There is some truth to it because God's intention for us was never for us to be solely focused on heaven to the point that we ignore what's going on on earth. His intention for us, His mission for us is to be focused on heaven, yes, but to bring the values of heaven into this fallen world. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are co-workers with God, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that we are the body of Christ in this world. 1 Peter four ten says that we are stewards of God's grace in this world. Stewards of God's grace. Have you ever thought about that? You are a grace distributor in this world. God has chosen you to be a distributor of His grace. Could He just do it Himself? Sure, but for whatever reason, He likes to work through people. God has given you that mission. If you're ever struggling with purpose in your life, just remember that God, if you've trusted in Jesus, has made you His representative, His ambassador in this world to distribute His grace, to be a steward of His grace. That means He's given you grace so you can give other people grace. That's an amazing responsibility. So in Colossians chapters one through two, we learn all about the new life that we have in Jesus, the the reality that He is all we need to be right with God. We don't need to follow the Mosaic law or any religious rituals or, or rules, not that we don't have rules to follow, but that's not what saves us. It's only the sacrifice of Jesus and believing in Him that gives us new life and eternal life with God. But now we come to chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and Paul is going to pick up on this theme of new life, and he's going to take it to a new level. So if you've got your Bible, we're in Colossians 3 verse 1. And look at what he says there. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So obviously something's going to follow this. Before we get there, look at verse 3. He says, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And notice that both of those statements are in the past tense. Since you have been raised, for you died. This is a past incident that is the foundation for something He's going to tell us. There's something that's happened in our life that the first two chapters were all about that. This new life in Christ. That Christ is all we need. You, you died to your old self. We talked about that over the weeks. And now something is building on top of that. There's something that it's leading to. And here is that something. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, verse 1, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, there are two commands here that I want to dig into deeper. But before we go there, I want to address something else, which is, why do we care where Jesus is sitting? Why does Paul mention that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God? I mean, if I'm telling my kids to go do something like clean the living room, I don't tell them, kids, I want you to go clean the living room where your mother is sitting. Like, they don't need that extra bit of information. Why does it matter where Jesus is sitting? And here's why it matters. Back in the days of the church in Colossae, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have Facebook or Instagram or, or uh TikTok or whatever else everybody's into on social media. I'm not good at social media. They didn't have TV They didn't have the internet. They didn't have radio If a a leader or ruler or king of a nation wanted to make a proclamation They weren't able to do a state of the union broadcast or even a fireside chat if you know what those are They couldn't do that And so what they had to do was they would sit in their throne room on their throne and the people would come in to hear the proclamation the, the people that mattered the people that were able to get in and just like today when a president gets up and makes an important announcement, there's an array of people next to him who are all like taking some of the credit, right? They're like, I-, I was involved in this. I get to be here. And whoever's standing closest to the president is like more important, right? It's like, oh, this person is being, you know, promoted in some way. They're- they had serious influence here. It was the same way back then. And so on the throne, as a ruler would make a proclamation, there would be people sitting or standing next to them who had some kind of influence in the decision or involved in some way. It was a position of honor and prominence and power. And then when there were important matters to be addressed and, and brought before the king, the king would sit in the throne and important officials would be to his right and to his left. And how close you were to the king meant you were in a more prominent position. You had more influence. You had more power, more honor. And if you were on the right-hand side, for whatever reason, that was the position that was deemed more valuable. Uh, I'm sorry, lefties. That's just the way it was. The right-hand side, for whatever reason, was the better side to be on. I'm not going to try to justify it. it It just was. Remember when the mother of James and John brought her two sons to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have a favor to ask of you. And he says, okay, ask it. And she says, promise me that in your kingdom, my two sons will be able to sit at your right and your left. This is why what she was asking for, and Jesus even even tells her, you don't know what you're asking for. What she's asking for there is for her sons to be in the two most important positions next to Jesus in his kingdom. This prominent position to the right and to the left, seated next to Jesus on his throne in the new kingdom. And Mark chapter 16 says that Jesus went up into heaven And he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. So Paul is picking up on this and saying, Jesus Christ is right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And here's why this matters. To say that Jesus sits at the right hand of God means that our connection to God Jesus that Paul's been talking about for the last two chapters. That connection to God is in the position of highest honor and power and influence and prominence right next to God the Father. And the fact that He's sitting means His work is completed. There's nothing else that needs to be done to accomplish the salvation mission that Jesus set out on. He sits down because His work is done, and now He is there as this, as this influential conduit before God the Father on our behalf. And so you can see maybe with that context how to the Colossians, this tiny little phrase, this seemingly insignificant little phrase would carry such important weight to them after Paul has explained the value of being in Christ and having new life in Christ and only needing Christ for your salvation. And then he says where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. That would communicate volumes to the Colossian believers. They knew exactly what this meant when they saw this. And it reinforced everything Paul had been teaching them. If you have new life in Christ, Christ is all you need. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Your advocate before God is right there with Him right now. You've got the hookup. That's what Paul is saying. You have the hookup with God because your conduit to God, Jesus Christ, is right there with Him right now. Just let your mind process that for a minute. If you have trusted in Jesus, the Jesus you trust in is right now with God the Father representing you before him. How amazing is that? So we have our advocate there in heaven right now, this amazing connection through Jesus. And what are we supposed to do with that? What does that mean for us? Remember, we said there, there were these things that happened in a point at time. since you trusted in Jesus and you died to this life. So what is the follow through in that? What follows that? What do we do with that? And that's where these two commands come in two commands. They're called imperatives. These are both imperatives that we are supposed to follow. Do you see what the first one is? Set your sights on the realities of heaven. And what's the second one? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, notice that these are rules, right? And wasn't Paul just saying the last couple chapters, you don't have to follow any rules? No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying you don't have to follow any other rules to be saved. But these are not rules that you follow to be saved. These are rules you follow because you are saved. And there's a good reason for that. These rules are not meant to be a burden. God's rules are not meant to be burdensome to us. They're they're not meant to throw off our groove and make us have a miserable life and keep us from doing all the fun stuff. God's rules are actually very beneficial for us, they make our lives better. If you follow God's rules, you're going to make better choices. You're going to have fewer regrets in life. You're going to enjoy life more. Honestly, a life spent following God's rules is a pretty fun life. It really is. Yes, I know, sin and breaking God's rules, that's fun for a little bit of time. The Bible even says that. Sin is fun for enjoyable, pleasurable for a season. But then there are consequences to that sin. There are natural consequences, bad things that come about because of our sinfulness that ruin our lives. I'm thinking just this week, maybe you heard the news about a really prominent pastor on the East Coast. who just We just found out, it just broke in the news, and he admitted it on social media that, that he had made some choices that were very, very foolish over the last, sounds like several years. And I'm sure in those moments, those choices were fun. He enjoyed it, but now his life is in shambles. It's a wreck because of some foolish decisions he made that were fun for a season, but aren't fun today. And and we should pray for him. He's a a brother in Christ. We should pray for him, that God will bring him back around and restore his life, and that relationships will be restored. But what if he had just followed God's rules? Not so that he could be saved, but because he is saved, because he's a follower of Jesus, and he knows better, and he has the freedom not to sin. We talked about that a few weeks ago here in Colossians. God's rules are not a burden for us. When you live life God's way, life goes better. It doesn't mean everything always works out. That's not what we're saying. But you have fewer regrets. You make wiser choices. So for the rest of chapter 3, we're going to be talking about rules You can skip ahead right now, and you will see that over the next couple of weeks, there's a whole lot of do's and don'ts. We want to set them up the right way so that you understand these aren't do's and don'ts to be saved, and these aren't do's and don'ts because God is trying to squash you down and keep you from having fun in this world. When you live life God's way, it is a better life. So two rules, two commands, two imperatives that we see here. The first one is to set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now, uh, this, this might make it sound like it's just about seeing something visually, and it really isn't. Um, the word literally means to seek, to seek the realities of heaven, seek the things of heaven. A couple of months ago, we went camping with some families here from church, and it was tent camping, so, you know, not a lot of great amenities. It's, it's a different, you know, living environment. How many of you like to camp? Anybody? That's your thing? Like you really love to camp? Okay, it's fun. It really is fun. We hadn't been camping in a long time. And uh, so there we are in our tent. In our one tent, there's Jenny and myself, and there's a 7-year-old, and there's a 4-year-old, and there's an infant, and there's two dogs. All of us, that's the right reaction. In one tent together, actually I forgot several participants that were also in there with us, the mosquitoes, there were a number of them that decided to join the party in that tent. And we loved camping, don't get me wrong. It was fun, and we had a blast as a family, but it wasn't the greatest sleeping experience. And after a couple of days, we just found ourselves longing for our bed back home, sleeping in a different room from the kids, the food that we would normally be able to eat, although we didn't do too bad while we were camping. We longed for the realities of home. We couldn't wait till we would get back there. And and that's partly what it means to seek or set your sights on the realities of heaven. You're longing for it. Like, I wish it was here. But that's not all it is. It's more than that. It's also to live like you're already there. To seek it out now. To bring it into reality now. To recognize that this new life of yours is yours now. Not just when you get to heaven. The idea is not, this life is terrible, but at least it'll be good there. The idea is, you have this new life now. You can live like that now. You can bring the realities of heaven and seek them now. One of the best decisions that I made when we set out to go camping was bringing our coffee maker. Because even though we did not have most of the realities of home, we had the one that mattered. And every day was better because we sought to bring a reality of home into our camping experience. And it really did make life so much better. God wants us to seek the realities of heaven, not just for the future, not just to long for them, but to bring them now. F.F. F. Bruce put it this way. He said, what then are the practical implications of being raised with Christ? In the first place, believers have now no private life of their own. Their life is the life of Christ. Maintained in being by Him at God's right hand and shared by Him with all His people. Their interests must therefore be His interests. Instead of waiting until the last day to receive the resurrection life, those who have been raised with Christ possess it here and now. The new creation, the regeneration, has already begun in them. Spiritually, that is to say, in Christ, they belong already to the age to come and Enjoy its life. Present tense. See, we don't just long for heaven. In a very real sense, we bring the values of heaven to earth. Jesus even told us pray that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, the second imperative is to think about the things of heaven, not just the things of earth. So we're to seek the things of heaven now. We're also to think about the things of heaven now. And, and I think that that order is a little bit interesting. It almost seems backwards. Because don't we usually think about something before we go and do it, before we seek it? Don't we think first? I'm going to be very honest with you here. I don't know if what I'm about to say is exactly what Paul had in mind. Maybe it is. But I do think there is something to this order of seeking first and then thinking about And I'll explain what I mean, but I I, want to be very clear that I don't know if this is what Paul intended for us to get. It's just what I have seen work in the Christian life. I'm going to give you a true confession of a pastor right now, okay? You ready for this? True confession of a pastor. Sometimes when I show up here on a Sunday morning, I am not thinking about worshiping God. It's not what's on my mind. Sometimes when I get here on a Sunday morning, I don't feel like worshiping God at all. It's not what I want to think about. I'm not ready to come in here and spend time in prayer and spend time singing and worshiping God and and thinking about how great and awesome He is. That's not always top of my mind. I know that may be shocking to you, but I imagine you can relate to it. Sometimes the the tensions of life and work and and the pressures of, of other people's expectations on me end up creating stress to the point where prayer is not what I'm thinking about. Reading the Bible is not what I'm thinking about. It's not on the top of my mind in those moments. But in those moments, I have found that if I will just do the heavenly thing, if I will just do the right thing, my mind will catch up. I may not be thinking about or dwelling on the right things in that moment, but if I will force myself to do the right thing, my mind catches up. I don't know about you, but the I think that sometimes the way I approach doing heavenly things is that I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll do it when it's on my mind. I'll I'll do it, you know, when it's that, when it's the only thing I can think about. Until then, it's like, here's Netflix, or here's, you know, something else that I want to do, something fun. And then, yeah, when that's the one thing on my mind that I can't get off my mind, then I'll go do the, the heavenly thing, the right thing. But I think sometimes the order needs to be we do it before we even feel like or think it's the thing we want to do right now. If you don't feel like worshiping when you come here on Sunday, that's okay. Just start doing it. And I know right now, the best you can probably do is mouth the words, right? Or sing it in your heart, in your mind. But if you start to do it, your mind will catch up. If you don't feel like serving, that's not what's on the top of your mind. That's not what you wake up thinking about. Is man, I just want to go serve some people today. The way to make that a normal thing in your mind may not be to wait until it just happens. The way might be to just start serving. To just go do it, and your mind will catch up. And so even though I don't know if this is the order that Paul had in mind, if this is the point that he was trying to make, I think there is something interesting here about seeking first and thinking second. We can't always count on it being the top of our mind, the the thought that we're dwelling on. But if we will choose to do the heavenly thing, our mind often will catch up, and we will end up dwelling on the right things. It's the same thing when you wake up in the morning. Is reading the Bible and praying the first thing you think about in the morning? Like, oh man, I really want to do that right now. Maybe it crosses your mind, but then you're like, eh, five more minutes. But if we will just make the, the choice to discipline ourselves to do the right thing, even though we really don't feel like it right now, and ah, I kind of want to do this other thing and check the sports scores and look what's happened with the election and all this other stuff. That's what I want to think about right now. But if we will do the right thing, then I find that the thoughts that I dwell on the rest of the day are different. Because my mind followed my actions, and and maybe there's something to that for us. Either way, Paul's message is very clear here. The heavenly life is not for the future. It is for today. So he says at the end of this passage in verse 3, "...for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory." Your real life is in Christ if you have trusted in Him. And where is Christ? He is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And that's where your real life is, if you've trusted in Him. One day, Jesus will be revealed to the whole world, and you will share in His glory. Another way to translate that is that you will be with Him in glory. You will be there. In other words, Jesus is there right now in heaven next to God. It's perfect. God's will is always done. And you will be there one day. One day, you will transfer to the place or God's will is done all the time, but until that day, we have the incredible privilege and great responsibility to bring the values of heaven into earth today. That's what God wants us to do. Seek the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven right here, right now. Live the new life right now. Now, you may be asking, and rightly so, okay, how do I do that? What are those things I'm supposed to be seeking and thinking about? What is that going to look like? And you're just going to have to wait until the next couple of weeks, because our time is out today, and and those are the passages we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. But Paul is going to get into that in the rest of chapter 3. He's going to get into some of the do's and some of the don'ts. But before we go there, we want to have the right foundation, because we don't want to reach this list of do's and don'ts and think, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do to be right with God. No, that's not the point. This is what I do to make sure that God's okay with me, that God likes me, that that God has positive thoughts about me. No, Your advocate is already there. You have new life in Christ already, whether you are doing these things right now or you aren't. If you trusted in Jesus, you have that new life in Christ. But because you have that new life, you need to start living like it. And that's where these principles that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks will come in and teach us how to live the life God wants us to live here on earth. But before we get into any of that, we have something exciting to celebrate today. And I'm not just talking about the new sound system that you're hearing right now. I hope that it's been crisp and clear, and you've been able to understand me a little bit better. Can we give our tech ministry a hand and facilities a hand? They did an awesome job. And it's not done yet. There's more work to be done on it, but they got it all ready for today. And we have a a great partner in Paragon 360 that's been helping us to put all of this together. They've been fantastic. Uh, But hopefully you you heard the music well and the preaching well, and and hopefully this new sound system is going to last us a long, long time because the old one was on its way out. (laughs) That's why we used to have extra speakers standing up over here. But that's not even the big thing we have to celebrate. That's one thing. There's something that matters even more. And that is that we have three people who have trusted in Jesus, and today they're going to get baptized. I don't know if you noticed, we've got the pool over here. That's right. (laughs) Baptism is such an exciting thing for us. It's when someone comes forward and says, I want to publicly declare that I've decided to follow Jesus. They have new life in Jesus Christ, the new life we've been talking about. And this is their way of showing that to everyone and, and, and committing their life to God and saying, this is the new life that I have, and I want you all to know about it. Now, at the same time, we want to celebrate with them, and we want them to know that we support them. So, as they get baptized, you probably already know this, our tradition is that we cheer for them. We want to let them know that we are proud of them, and we support them. So, as they come up out of the water, go ahead and give them a cheer, give them a holler, whatever it is, just keep your mask on. But, you know, make some noise, clap, all that good stuff, and let them know that we support them. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song, and our baptism participants are going to get ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter to the Colossians, and it teaches us such rich truths, truths about heaven, truths about this new life that we have in Jesus, Lord, the opportunity to have an advocate who is right next to God the Father right now. That should give us such peace and such calm in the middle of a tumultuous world, in a tumultuous year to know that we have you right there in heaven representing us before God, that we have a hope in heaven for the future, that's got to overshadow all of the troubles, all of the struggles that we see around us, the things that concern us. Man, they, they pale in comparison. They're a pebble compared to what you have in store for us. But then, Lord, as we learn today, help us not to just have a hope for the future, but help us to bring that reality into our lives today to live the heavenly lifestyle, to bring the heaven mindset, the the values of heaven that you have laid out for us in your word into our lives today, Lord. Help us to represent you well as distributors of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.